This is Daniel Figella. You're listening to the AI and Business Podcast, and this is episode two of five in this five-part series on AI strategy. We're talking about building an enterprise AI strategy, a plan that you can use to align departments and align efforts to strive for a long-term ROI, but also hit a near-term ROI. Our first episode in this series was yesterday. We had the general manager of artificial intelligence at Microsoft, David Carmona, kick things off with some insights that really had a lot to do with how Microsoft got this wrong initially, and then how they got it right, and what transferable lessons there are there for other enterprises. If you haven't heard that one, I would definitely recommend listening to David's episode from yesterday. Today, we have a guest who was with us a number of years back, Brett Greenstein. Brett is now partner at PwC. He's worked at many of the largest consulting companies in the world, and he's now heading up some pretty significant AI and data efforts at PwC. And when I asked Brett big picture about AI strategy in this episode, I really let him take it where he wanted to take it. There's a number of insights that came out. There's a lot about the importance of executive fluency. How do we build skills? How do we know if you're a listener right now, where are your skills? Are they where they need to be to be able to flesh out a strategy? Who else needs to be in the room? There's a lot around getting smart and being able to gauge the smarts of a boardroom or of the C-suite. But there's an ongoing theme in this interview that I found interesting and that I consider maybe the biggest takeaway of this episode around how to balance the difference between a bunch of small disjointed AI projects and some big overarching blueprint written from the top that has nothing to do with business operations. How do we find the middle ground between those two and how do we get those two sides to connect to make a strategy come to life? It can't be too abstract. And it certainly can't be non-existent. In other words, every department can't have a wildly different AI strategy, or we're really not going to land on the same page. Brett talks from both of those perspectives over the course of this entire 20-something minute episode and helps to be able to connect those dots in a way that I think is really succinct and cool. So I hope you get a lot out of this episode. This is Brett Greenstein with PwC here on the AI in Business podcast. So, Brett, welcome back to the program. Thank you so much, Dan. It's great to talk to you again. Yeah, been a little bit since we chatted last, and we've got a topic that is dear to a lot of your work with large enterprises, having worked with some of the, the biggest services firms in the world here, around AI strategy. Lots to dive into, but I, I want to talk about maybe how you define or explain AI strategy to business people. We're going to get into the how and the what, but how do you explain it when you're talking to execs? I think it's important to recognize that AI is an enabler of business strategy. And when a company says, I want an AI strategy, in all likelihood, they're thinking of it from a technology first perspective. Perhaps they just hired a data scientist who's convinced them AI is going to change their business. And those are great moments to get awareness. But fundamentally, when we talk about strategy with AI, we're talking about how your business will be transformed with AI. What are the changing conditions in your business, in your products, in your customers that might require the use of AI? It means understanding what it's strong at and what it's not strong at so that you can really wrap a, a business around the use of AI to generate next level performance and competitiveness. Got it. Um, yeah, and I, I think for most for most businesses, that's exactly it. I've, we've, we've certainly heard the insight a few times in the series that thinking about AI strategy for its own sake is just about as bad as doing AI for its own sake. So your perspective is more of layering it on top of the business strategy. Hopefully our audience is already on that page. Some of them may be ready for this. Some of them may not. You've worked with enterprises of many different sizes. When it comes to building this next strategic layer, you know, if we use kind of your augmentation of a business strategy or enhancer of a business strategy kind of analogy here, when it comes to sort of fleshing that out, when does that make sense? Because it, 
I guess it's not self-evident for all enterprise folks. Okay, it's my I'm doing a first AI project to go from, you know, get a little bit of predictive juice out of my, you know, retroactive BI dashboards. Do I now need to draw up a whole strategy for where AI fits into the whole business yet? Or wh- when does that actually make sense? So if you if you go back to the premise that AI is a technology and an approach to solving a problem, you know, it starts with understanding do you have the right data? And a predictive model is can be generated through machine learning and AI, but only if you have data which is causal, which is related to the outcomes. A lot of people will look at whatever data they have in front of them. I worked with a company who was trying to do a prediction of revenue from their CRM data. Well, the CRM data is correlates to revenue, but wasn't causal. There's tons of gaps in it. It was indicative of what people might sign in a deal, but not how much resources might get committed. So there were so many other factors that had a higher causal effect on the revenue that they actually couldn't produce a predictive model. Their Salesforce data was noisy, incomplete, and, and correlated, not causal. And the forecast models had no, no relevance at all. But in contrast, I've seen people do supply demand forecast work using AIML that's been very effective because all the data you need to predict supply and demand is often you know data you actually have access to. And you can make a really good forecast model based on the data you probably use to run your business. When people build forecast models and they can do that through, you know, on a spreadsheet with a line through data points, when you when the data gets more chaotic and change occurs more rapidly, machine learning models tend to be better than drawing a line through dots, which sounds intuitive, but it means they already had the data which was useful to build a prediction. It's just that the data became significantly more chaotic, more yes, yes, yes. rapidly changing, in which case you needed machine learning models to be more current to the changes in the data. So that, that's why those kinds of problems lend itself really well to it. And, you know, so there is obviously a project selection part of this, right? If we're building out kind of a, a level of AI strategy on top of what our existing business thrusts and kind of goals are, applying it to things where it really has no place and purpose would be pretty darn counterproductive. You know, when, again, we're talking about when it makes sense to cross over into AI strategy, and we're talking a little bit right now about project selection. When we're going about picking our first product, our first projects for data science, which again, hopefully we're not doing as a technology first thing. Hopefully we're, you know, maybe we've got the talent, but we're thinking about really where do we add business value? What's going to take us to our strategic goals? Do we want to, before committing to those first two or three substantial projects, have some kind of augmented, leveled up, layered AI strategy on top of our business strategy before those first projects? Or do we want to develop it after a couple kind of onesie, twosie, short-term ROI-oriented AI projects? When, when does it make sense to kind of draw a sketch of the big picture in addition to just drilling down and executing on a few projects? I think there's a middle ground there. You know, Two or three years ago, there was a lot of experimentation where people would just throw data scientists at a problem and say, what can you do with it? And you know I, that was where people would just pick a problem and try to try to solve it with AI approaches, and and it wasn't very successful. On the other hand, coming up with a holistic business strategy that's that's built around AI before you've done your first project isn't going to make a lot of sense either. I think the middle ground is establishing what the minimal skill sets are in the business to be able to be effective with AI, the right data engineers, data scientists, related roles. And then business leaders who are at least understand it enough to know what its potential is, and then identifying problems that have a high likelihood of being better solved with AI. I mentioned before supply-demand forecasting was a nice pivot for companies, especially during the pandemic when times got more chaotic. The data tend to be more chaotic, which meant 
machine learning was a better solution than, than historic forecast models. I also noticed that if you look at some of the strengths of AI, for example, in understanding images or text, heavy non-structured data kind of problems are really good ones to, to use AI ML with, but you've got to have, again, technical skills, access to data, and business leaders who get what it could do. It's hard to do this by delegating it to a technologist. And we've recently done an AI study looking at the patterns for success with AI and, and adoption patterns. And companies that looked at it holistically, looked at the technology, looked at the business processes, you know, looked at all the enablers of it, the data, were significantly more successful than those people who kind of started with a tech-first approach. Yeah. And when we've seen it done well, there's, there's a million ways of, that we've heard this framed on the show, you know. AI is a team sport. You know, we want to have our subject matter experts, our business leadership, and our technology folks in the room to be able to round out, validate our assumptions, you know, make sure we're kind of on the right page. Obviously, we need someone with sufficient AI fluency. And mm-hmm. I think the challenge there on, on some level, Brett, is that it's not always, you know, folks aren't always necessarily self-aware. And it's it's also not a great admission to say, hey, by golly, I don't quite understand what this AI can do nor do I really understand the relevant use cases in my industry well enough to really be making a strategic call. What do we do about the fact that maybe not everybody we hope is super AI fluent actually is? You know, how, how do we factor that into when and how we want to build a strategy? It's a great question. And most chief data officers right now are focused as much on education, inspiration, and enablement as they are on technology and platforms. And the reason is that, that most of the stakeholders you need involved in a project are not AI aware. They don't have a long history in it. And it's also completely normal considering how fresh and, and current some of the technology is. Yep. So spending time on, on enablement, on getting people to be data literate is a huge, you know, important function of a chief data officer. And one of the things you do not just once, but as an ongoing campaign within the enterprise, we often find that you can do it better instead of finding out who doesn't understand AI. Instead, defining what a data-driven enterprise looks like, define your data-driven strategy, the big picture, and then use that as a, as a catalyst to get people to be inspired to learn. And given the huge value in these skills today, um, getting people excited about it actually is, is very doable. I have a, a good friend of mine that I grew up with, and his wife, um, when she turned 50, went off and got certified in data science and then restarted her career in a totally new direction as a data scientist now compared to you know what she was doing before which was a non a non data role yeah i think the idea that it's that people can learn this at other times in their life is very important it is not something you have to only be a phd from college to be, be able to do yeah and not even everybody needs a purely technical background either brett right i mean many of the ai right. fluent execs that you've probably worked with don't write the Python, but they have the right conceptual grasp of what AI can do, what its use cases are, where it fits with their business. Speak of maybe a little bit to that. I mean, it feels like some people need to go all the way back to, hey, let's get into linear algebra. For other folks, maybe not. I mean, what, what's your take in, in terms of guiding leaders that are wondering, how do I level my own career up? Yeah. I mean, obviously, some of the strongest leaders in data and, and AI work are not Python coders. They, they work with Python coders, but they're also people who can see patterns. And seeing patterns is really the essence of data science. So understanding the difference between causality and correlation, you know, that is not a, that can be done in Python, but you don't need that skill set to be able to understand that difference. And a lot of times, really good operational leaders are really good at understanding patterns in data. 
They just didn't know how to use AI and data and, and machine learning to get more value from it. So what I find is really good COOs combined with technologists can identify scope and attack problems really well. And some of our strongest advocates within our clients are not data cloud experts. They're not data scientists, but they're operations leaders who understand the levers and the data of their business and know that they could have better models and make better decisions if they had you know, access to the right algorithms, right models. Yeah. And I think it's important for people to know that. I mean, that's a, that's a war drum that we beat time and time again. You've also emphasized the importance of catalyzing education if you actually want to catalyze AI change. Clearly important. And this is getting us down to kind of the meat and potatoes of the episode, which is around how we even get started around starting to build a, a level of data strategy. I, maybe we can begin with a little bit of what it looks like when we have one. You know, when, when do we know when we're kind of, you know, we're never done, of course, but when do we know when we have a good enough first draft to help guide action? Is this more or less, Brett, do you see smart companies taking an existing strongly framed, you know, succinct business strategy and then figuring out how that is augmented and then saving that as kind of a separate doc? Like, hey, this is how we're going to reach our business strategy with AI. And it's kind of like a, a bit of a blooming off of kind of a core document or what, what, what is the end product of, of AI strategy done right? Of course, it's always growing, but, but what does it look like when we've got a draft? So when, it's, when you're in a good place, when you're at sort of version 1.0 of that, you're not looking at it as an AI strategy at all. You're looking at a data-driven business, which is using AI ML to get meaning from the data, which is using all the data that could matter to your business, putting it together and making it accessible to the enterprise. You'll often hear people working on AI strategy also talk about data democratization. They're also talking about data literacy and data fluency. It's the combined thought of what is all the data that matters, not the data you have, but the data that matters to the decisions you make in your business, combined with techniques like AI ML to extract meaning from unstructured data, to build forecasting models, to do personalization you know, kinds of decisions, combining that in the context of what is the business challenge you have. If, for example, you're in a business which is reasonably static and the demand is 13 weeks, one quarter predictable in advance, you probably don't need an AI ML strategy to figure out what to do. However, that's not the world most of our clients live in. The world has gotten much more chaotic. There's a significant value in being much more personalized in how you sell and how you deliver service. And so there's competitive advantage if you could understand your customers and your products and your markets better. So being data-driven is how you understand that better. And, and the decisions you make are powered by AI ML. So if you kind of combine all those things, it's the holistic approach, which is business plus data, plus you know technologies like AI, and identifying what are the key things you're trying to next level up in your business, and then figure out what are those components you need to address that, whether it's forecasting, personalization, even automation, just using AI to you know, better process images and other things can make you know, your business better. But it does start with the business. And when it comes to this view of data unlocking new capability and possibility within the business, you know, which ultimately is the the strategy we're talking about, one mm -hmm. can imagine this happening at a whole enterprise level. One can also imagine this happening within a department or a division. Which of these is more common and which for you would be more ideal? You know, I, I, I can imagine maybe we would want the big picture done for the whole firm to know where the little guys would start. But realistically, maybe it's one enthusiastic group in the fraud department of an insurance company that kind of builds something out first that inspires the company as a whole. What's the order of attack there for how much of the enterprise we cover with such a strategy? I would flip that around and think of it in, in the terms of what are the good conditions that exist when AI becomes transformative? 
One of those conditions is having a CIO or a chief data officer who has really thought about making data accessible in the enterprise, not controlling it and limiting it, but unlocking it and making it accessible. And having business stakeholders who perhaps have hired data-centric people and have begun to do some of those initial pilots and seeds. So having you know the fertile ground, which is the data fabric of the enterprise, and having people who are enabling that data fabric, making data accessible, and then people who are planting seeds within it, who, who are calling for more data. I think what's really great is you get that synergistic pattern that happens when you start making data accessible and you have people in the business consuming it, trying new things. They ask for more data. The more data you have, the more people who can then create value from it. And I think usually where this stalls is when people try to control it centrally. If you think you can manage the data and all data science and AI ML work and satisfy the needs of the business, you're probably creating an island and and not really engaging your users. And then also on the other side, if it's completely federated and everyone's just running amok and doing their own data, you get a bunch of data silos on the other side and people who are not learning from each other and getting best practices. So a chief data officer who embraces the data scientists all over the business and enables them through a data fabric is a superhero you know, in a business. They're the ones who are changing the game. And I, I bet many of them. It's like a really great pattern. And so tell me if I'm right or wrong here, just to, to kind of uh, make this succinct for the listener. What you're saying is wherever we find that virtuous cycle you had just articulated, wherever we can conjure that and it can build on itself and it can start adding value to the business, often that's the best place to start as opposed to beginning with some big organized central plan. But like you said, if we have seven parts of the business that come up with their own brilliant ideas and spin up their own new little AWS instances for all their little fun projects, we're also just kind of garbling together more technical debt than than is warranted. So is the secret here to kind of light up and turn on the areas where the value really is spinning and then finding a way to make sure they don't get lost in their own world and that you know once they are up and going, we can kind of support, enable them and make sure that there's context with the rest of the business as opposed to kind of coming top down, hey, here's our strategy for the business. Here's who's going to use it. Here's who's not. Uh, let me know if you would kind of paint that in a different way. Yeah. The sweet spot is when you have somebody acting like a chief data officer or in that exact title who understands that balance between unlocking data and enabling the consumption of that data into new innovation. And when you find that person, and and lots of businesses have somebody like that today, they are focused on both elements. Now, if you you have to let some things brew in the business, but you can't let it go so far as to create technical debt and data silos that you can you can't justify fixing. But you also cannot control it centrally, or you won't get the innovation cycle. So creating creating that virtuous cycle, the way you described it you know, is, is about bootstrapping it. And usually what you'll see is somebody investing in some early data lake, data warehouse on cloud technologies that start to unlock data. They begin to engage business users, share best practices, and grow from there. And those companies are doing extremely well. They were very fast to adapt during the pandemic because they had somebody who was focused on unlocking the data. And they had lots of people who were close to the use of the data who were beginning to do innovation. And I saw it in almost every industry, those companies adapted quickly, whereas other companies who hadn't done the data uh, democratization work, they didn't have a fabric for the enterprise. When it came time to start to do the harder problems that required AI ML, they didn't have a handle on their data. And as any data scientist will tell you, data prep 
data cleansing, that is all the heavy lift. And if yeah. you make the data scientists do all that, they will fail. And if you prevent them from getting access to data, they will fail. Yeah. So let me see if I can nutshell this, Brett, and mm-hmm. I'd love for you to add some detail on it. I'm, I'm always hungry for the takeaways. You know, We've got listeners in every industry and the goal is let's empower them to, to be able to take this stuff into action. It, it feels like if you're going to be the catalyst at an enterprise level of making a strategy come to life, you know, there's a way of thinking about the strategy in terms of unlocking data's value in different parts of the business. But there's this really important productive tension where we don't want to point a finger and say, who's going to do AI or pick it arbitrarily. We need it to bubble up from real enthusiasm and real opportunity, but we also need to capture it while it's happening and make sure that, okay, if that's the part of the data we want to uh, unravel, how, how can we you know, support that? How can we make sure that that remains integrated with the core business? How can we potentially connect the dots with the other AI projects that we're doing so that there needs to be enough of this, I guess, uh, Cambrian explosion that would happen organically within the business, but then someone who can make sure that none of it gets too far gone in any one direction, disjointed from the rest of the business. Let me know if there's a, a better way you might want to pack that in. No, no, that, I thought that was great. The only other thing I would add to that is maybe two elements. One is once you start to see a little bit of traction in the business of any of any form of, of consumption of this data, beginning to create an umbrella data fabric, data enterprise, you know, enterprise data strategy is an is a very necessary component. And it doesn't mean you can make the perfect one and then that's it. But you've got to get a beginning one. Define the standards, pick your platforms, you know, figure out what you're going to do with your data governance and enable those business consumers, the, the consumers on the business side to use that environment. Now you've got a friend in the business and you've got a consistent fabric you can build out over time. So we'll typically build the first couple of data sets with a very engaged, excited part of the business. And that becomes the standard that everyone else starts to move into. And as you move more data sets in, it expands and becomes the default for the enterprise. The other thing that needs to be brought in is the business leaders. So companies that are business process-led on data and AI adoption, those who, who lead with that, you know, are twice as far along as everyone else. And it just comes down to the fact that the problems people work on are also highly correlated or highly related to the business output and the business benefits, which then fuels further investment. So you can have great innovations that if they don't affect the things that are most important to the business, they just sit there on the shelf. But when they start to have a real impact, you get executive pull and people start asking for more and more so they can make better decisions. They can run their operations better. They can understand their products better, their customers, their employees. You know, think think of a data-driven business that suddenly understands why people are leaving their company. And what attracts people to their company? Think how much more focused they will be in their HR policies and practices to retain people versus just you know not having that data and just randomly giving pay raises and doing whatever you do to sort of hope that it affects retention. So data-driven is about being precise and about understanding things and people and business to make the best possible decisions. So when business leaders can see that working and they see the consumers on the business side and this CDO or someone enabling data, they can see a path forward for how they can be, you know, better, faster, smarter than their competitors. Well, I, I think that's a strong insight to be able to end on and hopefully some very actionable advice for the folks who are tuned in around the world in various and sundry industries. Brett, I know that's all we have for time on this episode, but thank you so much for joining us again on the show. Thank you, Dan.
So that's all for this episode of the AI and Business Podcast, this second episode in our five-part series. Tomorrow, as I mentioned on Monday, tomorrow we're going to continue our AI is Here series, which is sponsored by Samba Nova. That is going to continue tomorrow. So AI is Here really covers critical AI trends, and that's going to be focused on life sciences tomorrow. So uh, we've got some great insights there. But this series on AI strategy kicks back off on Thursday. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we have fresh episodes all about bringing an enterprise AI strategy to life. And we've got guests from, as I mentioned yesterday as well, one of the biggest telecommunications companies in the world, the head of AI there. Uh, we've got a great startup leader who was previously running AI at one of the largest defense and aerospace companies in the world. Very big perspectives from very different industries being able to share their takes on what it means to make AI strategy come to life in a real way. So I hope you'll stay tuned for those. I appreciate Brett for being back with us and I appreciate you being here as a listener. If you're not already a reader as well, be sure to be on our newsletter. It's emerj.com slash n one. That's N like newsletter and then the number one, emerj.com slash N1. Sign up for our newsletter every Tuesday and Thursday. Not only do we kick out all of our latest interviews, but all of our latest infographics, articles, and more. So stay ahead of the AI curve. If you want to know more about use cases and trends and where AI is turning into value, which is what we cover here at Emerge, we're not covering the technical side of things. Those of you who've been here for long enough know that. We're covering the boots on the ground, conceptual understanding from the C-suite, how do we turn AI into value? If you want more of that written format, infographic format, and more, emerj.com slash n1. Otherwise, stay tuned for the rest of this series. I'm really glad to be able to have you here for our second episode and hope you get to stick around for all five. Thanks so much. I'll catch you next time.